0: Portions of Eye on Real Estate, sponsored by Hemp Leaf. We won't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body.
2: Good morning, everyone. I'm Dottie Herman, and welcome to Iron Real Estate. As you know, everything's about real estate. It's a universal language, as I say, and everyone wants to know about it. Everyone wants to hear about it. It doesn't matter if they rent, they buy, they live here, they live in Europe. Just like everyone loves to learn about real estate. So, our show is about real estate, but also lifestyles because where you live and how you live and what you live in is all part of a lifestyle and uh, today it's not only the house or the home or the place that you rent it's the city and it's kind of the lifestyle you want so hopefully we'll uh, do some also some look really dwell looking into lifestyles and how that affects where people live. Please do not forget You can tune in every Saturday, I think it's about 10 years we've been doing this, on AM970, TheAnswer.com, or AM970, the mobile app, iHeartRadio, or you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, at Dottie Herman, you'll get all our past shows, and of course I do do a newsletter, and it's free, DottieHerman.com, and you can get the latest information, and boy do we have so much going on, it's hard to keep up with it all. If you have any questions along the way, we'd love to hear from you. So feel free to call us at 866-970-9622. And boy, do we like when you call us, and when you have a question, don't think there's a million other people that have the same question. So make sure to give us a call if you can. And if you can't get us on the air, we'll try to answer the questions through we email or try to get But get back to as best I can. Sometimes I'm a little behind. Depends how much I get in a week. And of course, today our co-host and uh, our show's legal resident, he's one of the brightest attorneys that I know, uh, Stephen Ebert, and he's a partner at the prestigious firm Casson and Casson, located in Westchester. To fill us, he's going to fill us in on the latest legal developments in business, and of course, we're going to talk about the whole banking situation and how that affects you. On the second half of our show, we'll be joined with Max Paxton, Matt Paxton. And Matt is a downsizing expert. And, you know, you'd be surprised. I'm sure we all know how much clutter and things that we end up keeping that if you ever have to sell your house or you start finding things that you've kept for 100 years. And he is an author of Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, and the host of the Emmy Award-nominated series Legacy List, and that's distributed nationally by American Public Television. He's about declutter, downsize, move, and move forward with your life, and you're really going to want to listen to him. So, I, you know, I have so much info uh, to, like to get started with, but I, I really think it's secondary <laughs> to like what's been going on. And obviously, it was, there were was shockwaves from the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, it, it, it it pounded, you know, sh- 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 just craziness. And the uh, r- the um, a- agency, Rudy, cut its outlook on the U.S. banking system, negative from stable to reflect rapid deterioration in the opening environment. Um, the Republican chairman of the House of Financial Services urged to have confidence in the U.S. banking system and said the Federal Reserve and regulators have acted swift, and they did act swift. Swiss Central Bank threw a lifeline to Credit Swiss after their shares plummeted and 11 banks came in and helped bail some of the people out. Um, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is the second largest bank failure in the U.S. history and has created kind of a, a, a ripple effect across America. And the biggest risks So we're going to talk about what are the risks to investors? What exposure? You know that you're in short of 250. Uh, Steven, like I'm sure you were bombarded with people calling you this
3: week.
4: Adadi, you know, good morning. It was a crazy week. Um, And um, there's a lot of information. And as many times when you have a lot of things going on in a short period of time, you know, some of it's right, some of it's sort of right and you can have elements uh, of uncertainty, to say the least, and panic. So, you know, what I want to do today is let's dig a little bit deeper past the headlines, see exactly what happened, and what does that sort of mean for the future and, and how things happen. So, I want to, for a second, take a step away from the stock prices going on and what's happening in the stock markets on bank stocks, and let's talk a little bit about balance sheets, and the nature of some of these banks, and that they're very different. And for those of you who were around in 2008, when we saw financial contagion, this is very, very different in my opinion. Um, There's always some similarities, but it's a very different root cause. And this is very different from when we had a banking crisis from the Great Depression 90 years ago. And what I would say in the time period of the Great Depression, In the time period of financial contagion, you had banks 90 years ago that didn't really have a lot of regulation whatsoever and no backstop. And, you know, it was interesting, Dottie, when I was reading back a little historically, when FDR was running for president and they asked him, what are you going to do to solve the banking crisis? He was actually initially against the FDIC formation. Um, Interestingly enough, and his thought was that banks, if they knew they were going to get bailed out, wouldn't be managed properly and wouldn't understand and take into consideration risk. Now, it's a very interesting point, and I want to keep that theme in mind, because that's always something to keep in mind when figuring out what's the right solution today. It's how do we keep institutions quote-unquote honest, not saying that they're dishonest, but honest on risk and making good investments, solid investments, versus letting them let the market decide and have an impact. And what happened was, it was a congressman named Henry Steagle and for people who may know that name historically, for a long time there was a law called the Glass-Steagall Act, where there had to be all sorts of separations between banking and investment bank services. And over the last 20 some odd years, there's been a lot of changes in a lot of the bank regulations. And ultimately FD, uh, you know, FDR supported the FDIC to support individuals and protect them. But the way the banking crisis was addressed 90 years ago was actually there was a massive shutdown of banks. And then what happened was the government went bank by bank, analyzed them, and then said they were in a secure position and reopened. Now, that solution is a little bit extreme for a lot of reasons, but also it represents a different kind of economy. We have an economy today where a lot of people have a lot less cash, physical cash in their wallet. Exactly. If the banks were shut down for a week and they couldn't process electronic transactions, they wouldn't have money to do things. So a solution from 90 years ago is a really out-of-date uh, solution. So trying to set up these concerns, let's talk a little bit more, Dottie, about what happened with these banks. And I want to separate the situations because each bank was a little bit different. And, and I think one big theme, Dottie, that is different from some of these regional or i'm going to even say for a moment niche banks versus our larger banks is the stickiness of deposits and the type of businesses that they're in so what i would say is, mm-hmm, sure uh,
2: just before you go on and i really want to talk about that i just happen to you know every friday night i i kind of just zip, like i just wease through what i could find that's really current like that moment and I found an article, and it's in, in, it's exactly what you're talking about, and it's you. It says deposit insurance encourages bank failures, and it tells you that January of nineteen of July 1934. Okay, the you, you were insured like if you had money in the bank, you were insured for five thousand dollars. In 1950, it went up to ten thousand. I'll just skip a lot of years. In 1980, it went to 100000 And now, currently, the banks are insured for $250,000. And this article is kind of saying, and again, that that kind of makes it a little bit easier for banks to like be a little less managed. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, well, but you you know that you're, you they 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 I think they're going to cover everything now. But you're insured for two hundred. I mean, I'm going to get to
4: that. I'm going to get to that one specifically. Okay, that's a very good. Important point, I. Um, yeah, I mean what you're talking about is what we say. You know, and this is something taught to law students as first year law students and in the profession we call a moral hazard. Basically, one of the reasons that do you remember Dottie when we had the issue with mortgage backed securities? Going back 15 years ago, and, you know, people were saying all sorts of comments about what were in these bonds or so forth. And one of the things that changed after 2008 was that there has to be some level of residual risk, right? If somebody can do any kind of investment and there's, and, there's, and they're on the financial institutional side and there's really no risk to them, they may take riskier and riskier investments or bets as some others might say with other people's money which all of a sudden if there were financial repercussions to them their look at risk would be very different and one of the concerns you're exactly right saying is wait a minute if we're insuring these deposit holders then institutions could be more and more lax on taking riskier investments because the government has a backstop and people aren't going to look into it that's the argument There is some truth to that, Dottie. I do think it's balanced out from that's still a relatively individual deposit holder amount. And we want to make sure, Dottie, that people have confidence in the system. And what I would say, Dottie, and keep this in mind, and it's important for our listeners to understand this, and I'm going to get back to this point because it manifests itself in a few different ways. The amount of coverage is per depositor per institution and it's not per account. So for example, Dottie, if I had an account at a bank and I had a checking account and a savings account and I wanted to, let's say as a senior, have a conservative investment, not worry about the stock market and do what's called a CD, a certificate of deposit, where effectively I'm giving the bank a loan, all of those accounts would be aggregated. And so what happens is, even if I say, oh, I only have 30000 in my checking account and similar amount of my savings, but let's say I keep a good amount of my retirement in that CD, all those three are aggregated and subject to a 250 cap. It's not for each account. So if you just yes. think about checking account, 250 sounds high, but you've got to lump all those account types together.
2: So what, you know, you you, you you when you think about that and I know it, it it sounds like a lot of money but it's not. I mean, it's certainly like small businesses, they take their money, you know, they make money every day, they put it in the bank um for short terms. So, I mean, when I I believe the president uh you know, they decided to make everyone whole uh how, how does this affect the future? Is, you know, in other words, do you think it's going to – what happens if there's another bank failure? Will they do that again?
4: You know, that is a great expression. You know, I'll say two of them. You know, history repeats itself, right? We've all heard that one. We've also heard the more things change, the more they stay the same. Daddy, there will, in the future, I don't know how many years, it could be decades, there will be another version that will happen and it will manifest itself a little bit differently. And so the question is, how do we get better and better in designing a system but also understanding that things are different, right? In 20 in 2008, when we had the financial crisis, we didn't have cryptocurrency. No. Right? We didn't have investment banks having online banks, right? You didn't have things the same way, right? So Things are the same, but even in that 15-year period, there are some very different elements that are, that are going on. But, Daddy, if I may, I want, to, I want to hit a few more points so we can try to put this together, and let's talk about some of the, the failures that are out there. And I want to first focus in on First Republic Bank, because First Republic Bank seems like a very different bank than the other two banks that were in the news, SVB and, and Signature, yet why is it keep on not leaving the news? Right? And so what happens is with that $250,000 limit, about two thirds of the accounts at First Republic Bank are over that limit. To put that by comparison, at Silicon Valley Bank, nearly 95% of the accounts at Silicon Valley Bank were over the $250,000 limit. So that's nearly everyone. That for SVB was nearly everybody, and, and for FRB, still two-thirds. So what does that mean? If you're an account holder and, in, and we turn back the clock two weeks ago, and you're starting to get nervous, maybe you hear rumors and, and you see some signs, you're going to say, "Wait a minute, 250,000. I got five million in the bank. I'm pulling it." And then what happens, Dottie, is it's an acceleration. You talk to your friends. You talk to business partners. And, Dottie, what happened with SVB is there were a lot of high-tech business accounts. So, like, for example, here's where you see a big ripple effect. Are you familiar with Etsy, E-T-S-Y? Yes. Yes. This this is a platform where people all over the country sort of sell artsy, arts and crafts, goods, and so forth. Etsy had had their banking at SVB. And so... While a lot of the small businesses had dollar amounts way below the 250000 because all the funds cleared through SVB, it would have had a massive ripple effect where all of these transactions would have been made and then products produced, and then the vendors wouldn't have gotten paid if everything went poof. So you could see this bank, which was based out of Silicon Valley, high-tech businesses on the coastal side could have a ripple effect throughout the entire country. And then what happens is you hear stories of people who have their businesses through Etsy, and that's the difference if they can make their mortgage payment. So literally a high-tech bank in California could affect a mortgage payment in Georgia. So that's where you see potentially a ripple effect. Now, Let me jump to First Republic Bank, and then I'll start putting this together. They were more diversified from the high-tech point of view, and high-tech had the issues of fewer initial public offerings, right, what's going on, market uh, fluctuations and so forth. But FRB was known as a higher-end cost, higher-end clientele bank, and one problem that they had is they lent out a lot of money they have a lot of creative loan products, so they're lending off what we call their balance sheet. So actually, the amount that they have lent out is more than the amount that they had on deposit. And so what happened is their balance sheet was such that they had a lot of long-term investments, but if they needed to raise money short-term and people were pulling money out, they would have a huge liquidity crunch. And this is why, Dottie, we're seeing the larger banks giving liquidity to FRB. $70 billion and then $30 billion.
2: Yeah, didn't, and 11, I banks, to,
4: there's didn't 11, 11 banks bank want to. Yeah, yeah, I want to explain this, Dottie, because it's a very important institution, but I know we're coming up to a commercial break. We come back from the break. We'll go a little bit further into the difference. And then we could also then start talking about the right kind of solutions and how this affects, of course, where mortgage rates are going.
2: I think that's excellent. You don't want to miss this. This is really important, and it affects every one of us. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: Mike Glendale and MyPillow are launching the new MyPillow 2.0 with a special buy one, get one free offer. The MyPillow 2.0 offers a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. The new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a, a cooler surface temperature. MyPillow knows core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. The new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface Temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Machine washable and dryable, with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day bunny back guarantee. And made in the USA. Just go to the Radio Listeners page at mypillow.com. Use the promo code AM970 or call 800-651-0798. 800-651-0798. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to buy one, get one free on the new MyPillow
5: 2.0. 800-651-0798. This is Dennis Prager inviting you to join me for a memorable travel opportunity that will be a highlight of your life. Mike Gallagher and I are headed again back to Israel in October for the Stand with Israel Tour. Join us along with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. We'll visit key sites in the Holy Land thoughtfully designed to give you unprecedented access to a region you may have only read about. Visit StandWithIsraelTour.com for details. We'll uncover important geopolitical sites and show you Israel's significance on the world stage. You'll set foot on the ancient streets of Jerusalem, sail the Sea of Galilee, pray at the Western Wall, and much more. We'll have guides specifically for our group, lavish accommodations, and I will even broadcast my show from Israel. No other trip will be like the Stand With Israel Tour. Come with Mike Gallagher and me this October. Register today. Call 855-565-5555 19, or just go to StandWithIsraelTour.com StandWithIsraelTour.com
2: This is Dottie Herman, Vice Chair of Douglas Element and host of ION Real Estate on AM970 The Answer. Listen, I've just discovered a new line of skincare products that I have to tell you about. I have tried so many products that have been on the market for many years. So that's why I'm so excited about Leaf. The Vanilla Passion Skin Cream is soft, and the scent is very calming. The feeling on my skin, well, what can I say? It's just amazing. It's not at all greasy, and I can feel my skin perking up as soon as I put it on. The black soap, while it may look less than inviting, was the most amazing surprise. It's smooth and creamy and makes my skin feel soft and totally hydrated. I'm really looking forward to trying the rest of this product line and sharing my thoughts with you. I would never put anything on my body that I wouldn't put in it. So visit them at www.hempleaf.com. That's www.h-e-m-p-l-i-e-f.com. And if you enter the word dotty at the checkout, you'll receive a 10% discount.
0: Listen to AM970, The Answer, on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or odyssey.com.
6: Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Local Business Owner, do you get calls from multiple digital marketing firms trying to sell you the quick fix to your marketing challenges? Maybe you've bought the latest tactic that some hotshot sold you and you're wondering where your results are. The problem is you know you need to market your business, but trusting a partner, well, that's been a challenge. Our solution for many local business owners is through our digital marketing solutions, Salem Surround. Salem Surround is unique because we're based on the same guiding principles
1: Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
2: We're back with Stephen Ebert and myself, and we were talking about the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, and the second largest bank failure in U.S. history, and it's kind of created a ripple effect, and Stephen was in the middle of talking about it, so let's continue This, how it happened, and how this affects you, and what are the things that you should do?
4: Yeah, thanks, Dottie. So, yeah, so just uh, touching back from before, so Silicon Valley Bank, they had a lot of high-tech clients, larger deposit holders, people who were more knowledgeable and able to move things around. And also, given what was going on in the world, the number of high-tech startups and and initial public offerings were really slowing down. The other thing is Silicon Valley Bank made an investment, and they bought U.S. Treasuries a couple years ago, and they made a very big investment. And, Dottie, what happens, and this is going to tie into our conversation on mortgage rates in just a little bit, is there's what we call an inverse correlation. As interest rates go up, the value of the bonds go down. And what happened was, Dottie, imagining they have these long-term investments, the market is shifting, depositors are moving money out, and they need to fire sale effectively their bond portfolio at a lower price because the market moved, and they take a bigger loss. And then all of a sudden, people hear about a nearly $2 billion loss on treasuries, this guy is moving money out, that company they need to move money out and all of a sudden there's a massive run on the bank, a loss of confidence. Now, what are some of the two, the steps that are being taken by the federal government right now? Well, number one, for Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, which we didn't really get to Signature yet, they suspended the $250,000 limit. Now, Dottie, I want to be very, very clear, and this gets back to your point back in the beginning about that moral hazard of depositing insurance. The government decided to waive the limit for those two banks. They haven't announced a policy that they'd waive it for every bank. And so when you say that, you, and if you're at First Republic, which is still operating fully, and by the way, they're doing loans, we, we've seen that. We have had closings with them recently. We have one scheduled for next week. And they're, everything's moving along, at least for their customers, as they normally would. But If you have a large account at the bank, you're nervous because do we get the unlimited protection at SVB and signature or not?
2: Exactly. Now, the
4: SEC. So that's why you're still seeing the withdrawal of funds, and that's why you're seeing the other banks giving liquidity options to FRB to make sure that they maintain. Because some of the study, when we talked about, sometimes there's substance and sometimes there's just psychology. And so... There's a psychological element, because you don't want to be the person without that protection. But, Dottie, the government did one other thing, which is very interesting. And I do think long term, this is a very important discussion and gets into how we manage risk at bank. And that is they created a facility in which they will lend against U.S. treasuries for the value that the bank bought them for. And I want to say that one more time because yeah, this you need is very to say interesting that. and very important. Yeah. Say that
0: again. So,
4: so it's it's a mouthful. <laughs> it's it's you know these <laughs> there's a lot going on, you know. And sometimes, Dottie, you know, I'm explaining contracts to clients and so forth. And, and you know, when you have issues like this in economics, you're trying to figure out the right balance and how do you sort of, you know, filter it down. But you got to give the you got to set up the scene a little bit. And this is one of those issues. What happened was, remember, a moment ago we mentioned how as interest rates go up, the value of bonds go down. So now what's been going on these last couple of years, Dodd, is with interest rates. Where have they been going? Up. They've been going up, which means the value of these portfolios go down. So this is affecting also confidence in the banks because – their value of the assets of these bond portfolios are going down and that's messing up the balance sheets of these banks so these rate hikes right the governments talking about oh we got to deal with inflation and we got to hike rates but the one piece that they didn't really address or or ignored maybe is the better word is that wait a minute you're diminishing the value of these bank portfolios of bonds to the point where you're creating a liquidity crisis at the banks, and so one of the effects, right? Nothing happens in a vacuum, Dotty. By increasing rates in such a significant way these last uh, two years, the value of the bank's balance sheets are going down, and that's part of the reason we have a problem. Well, so what the what the government? I make this last point. Um, the government did to try to address the problem is they said for the next year. So a temporary program, if you bought a bond portfolio, let's say, a million dollars, and now because rates went up, it's only worth 800000 we will effectively lend you the money so that you still have a million dollars on your balance sheet and you don't have a liquidity problem. And we'll do that for the next year for the banking system.
2: Well, that, I think that they acted as quickly as they could. And I think that, uh, as you said before, the Fed's, you know, to tame inflation, the Fed's increased interest rates the fastest that they've ever did. It's the fastest on record, and of course that started slowing down things. But wouldn't you say that this is a part of what you know? Maybe they raised them too quickly. Uh, I mean, there's it's kind a of a fine argument.
4: line. It's look, it's a tough job. I, I do not envy. Yellen or Powell and the jobs that they have to do, and it's not a—it's a very difficult situation. And Dottie, the news to watch out for is this Wednesday. Okay, just a few days from now, there is a meeting from the FOMC, the Federal Open Markets Committee, and they're going to decide: do we raise rates, lower rates, or not do anything? So Wednesday afternoon, for our listeners who are interested and want to know that's an important date. Now, I want to shift for a second, Dottie, because we promised we'd talk about it, and I would never want to say something that's not true. We'd talk a little about mortgage rates. Now, what's interesting is we're in an environment where there's conflicting things happening, right? It's almost like driving the car, pressing the accelerator, and the brake at the same time. There's some actions which would be to increase inflation and some to decrease inflation so you're going to hear different people saying rates are going to go up rates are going to go down um we'll see what happens wednesday that will be a factor but you know for the moment it seems that mortgage rates have come down a little bit um and so it's an interesting time um because of what's going on i think on balance when you look at the recent inflation reports where inflation is and isn't and what's going on to me and this is my own opinion i think the risk of making the bank crisis worse is a much bigger concern than fighting inflation in one meeting so to me what that means is this is my opinion that i think they will be much more cautious which would be positive news for the for someone looking to get a mortgage so i think it's a very interesting time for someone who understands it and is flexible, to really look at locking in that mortgage and doing that real estate transaction.
2: Well, to your point, Stephen. Uh, up until this crisis we just had, the Fed was poised to approve a quarter of a point rate hike next week. Okay, now that we will will remain to see if that happens because I, my opinion is they they might they won't do it, but. Mortgage rates dropped after bank failures, which might be a big opportunity for home buyers. And the swift closure of two major banks, which of course sent shockwaves to the financial system, pushing mortgage rates down enough to potentially get buyers back to the housing market. Um, that, fall could stroke home buyers' appetite at the months of prohibitive rates because people kind of sat back. You know, we're kind of in a year of uncertainty. And though it's not clear if rates will bounce back up, there's still a lot of uncertainty. But in the near term, I do, and so do most uh, economists, agree with you, Stephen. Um, they expect mortgage rates to drop. And if that's true, buyers should take advantage of those mortgage rates because We've we've been very sensitive to those interest rates. We'll be right back. This is so interesting. It's kind of history.
0: Take it from Charlie Kirk. As I read this New York Times article, so I read the New York Times so you don't have to. Salem Media Group reaches more people than they realize. This is my favorite line of the whole thing. Their hosts are big names and they have huge reach, which makes them one of the most powerful forces in conservative media. Tap into our big names to help grow your business. To find out more about it, reach out to our
1: general sales manager, Laura Schaefer, by calling 212-857-9639.
6: Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Local Business Owner, do you get calls from multiple digital marketing firms trying to sell you the quick fix to your marketing challenges? Maybe you've bought the latest tactic that some hotshot sold you and you're wondering where your results are. The problem is you know you need to market your business, but trusting a partner, well, that's been a challenge. Our solution for many local business owners is through our digital marketing solutions, Salem Surround. Salem Surround is unique because we're based on the same guiding principles that Salem Media is. We actually care about our clients and we're accountable to our results.
2: This is Dottie Herman, host of Ion Real Estate on AM 970, The Answer. Listen, I just discovered a new line of skincare products that I have to tell you about. I have tried many products that have been on the market for many years, so that's why I'm so excited about Hemp Leaf. The Vanilla Passion Skin Cream is soft, and the scent is so calming. The feel of my skin, well, it's just amazing. It's not at all greasy, and I can feel my skin perking up. The black soap was the most amazing surprise. It's smooth and creamy and makes my skin feel soft and hydrated. I am really looking forward to trying the rest of the product line and sharing my thoughts with you. Visit us at www.hempleaf.com. That's www.hempleaf.com. Enter the word Dottie at checkout and receive 10% off. You're going to love it.
0: Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com.
1: Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman.
2: We're back and Stephen and I are talking about The, uh, the whole banking system that uh, recently just happened with our uh, banks just uh, just about going under. They were saved, and I think, thank goodness, they uh, reacted quickly. Uh, but let me and that this might be a very good opportunity. As Stephen said, you have to wait till Wednesday to see what they're going to do. But to curb inflation, I don't know that they're going to raise interest rates anymore. They were supposed to, but I think they're going to hold back. And, if, and just for your just for your knowledge, if you haven't bought something and you're living uh, in New York City, uh, luxury rent skyrocketed 28% on the average in Singapore followed by New York and then London. Uh, Singapore was the fastest rising luxury rents of any major city and it was New York but it knocked New York from the top spot to the second. Top spot, okay. And during the fourth quarter of twenty two, the cost of renting a prime home in New York City grew twenty eight percent annually. Okay, so if you're looking to get cheap rent, it's impossible. It's impossible. So this, as as tragic as it may be, okay, and as you know, because when you think of a bank, Stephen, like. I guess I grew up in a time where, you know, hey, you put your money in the bank. I don't even think I thought about anything ever going wrong with the bank. You kind of thought, hey, the banks are safe. And this Except is
4: telling I'm going to throw something. I like, something out there. Remember in the 80s we had the savings and loan crisis. Remember? Yes. The SNLs. Yes we, and L's.
2: Yes. And didn't we have happened, people you know, lining up? Um, I think it was 2007 or 2008. Weren't people lining up to take their money out of the bank?
4: Absolutely, and I and I hate and I hate to say this, you know, as things may change. I'm sorry to say this, people don't. You got some people who are looking for to make a quick dollar, greed. You know, you could have different things. They say, "Wait a minute, I have this brand new idea. Maybe it's not fully tested, but I'm sure it's going to work, and, and it'll never go wrong." And you know, there you go. And, and so there's always an element of risk. And we're constantly, I think, in this back and forth of taking risk and not and how to manage risk. And look, Dottie, remember, people need to, to also understand that banks are not storage lockers, right? When you take a deposit in the bank, you can't pay those employees. You can't run a bank if the, if the dollars sit in the cubby hole behind the teller counter. That's not how it works. So there has to be some lending activity, investment activity. Otherwise, the system doesn't function at all. Or, by the way, people, you could pay the bank a fee, right? I mean, you go in there and you think about it. By and large, not 100%. You pay for some things. They don't charge you every time, oh, we're going to charge you $5 because that's the cost of the salary we paid for the teller for your couple of minutes of an interaction, Right. You know, we're waiving ATM fees, right? There, there's a cost to build out this whole infrastructure for the bank, so they they have to make money somehow.
2: Well, they do, but as as I said, you know, like with, with so many people have asked, will say, so is my money safe in the bank, or should I go back and kind of diversify and put like money in like a lot of different banks? Another question I've had asked, and I'm not a banking expert, so I don't know that I'm the one to answer this, but am I better with a very big bank than a small regional bank? Uh,
4: I don't know. Well, you know, Dottie, it's always good to look at the institution of where you you have money. And you know what? That's why I'm saying going back, every crisis is different. Right when 2008 happened, First Republic Bank wasn't in the news. Silicon Valley Bank wasn't in the news, right? Remember, you had banks like Washington Mutual. You had Wachovia. You had Lehman Brothers, right? So then you had too big to fail. Now maybe it's too medium to fail this time. Um, It's going to, every time it's going to be a little bit different. You know, you just have to, you have to keep an eye on it. And, look, everyone's in a different situation when it comes to how much in the bank. Look, I know some people, what they do is they bank at multiple places to spread out the risk, right? Um, I think in this, this go-round, you know, it seems that the larger institutions, they have stickier deposits. You know, I, I think it depends on the client base. I mean, we also, for our firm, we use some regional banks, too, that are in fantastic shape. And and part of it is, you know, back in the day, bankers used to know their customers, right? It used to be that people went into the bank. They knew the manager. They knew the teller. That's there was true. a relationship. And now, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody. I have an app. It's great. I can call in if I need a human being once a year. But otherwise, send me. I want to go paperless, right? And so you've lost the connectivity. So what happened is it's tougher for a lot of banks because – The old-fashioned banks, so to speak, they knew their customers, and they'd say, okay, we know we have a law firm, and there's going to be X amount of money in escrow money that's going to sit there for months at a time, or this, as opposed to now people going online and clicking a mouse or using an app, you could move money instantly. So it's a much tougher job for banks. So the cause and the risk for banks are different. And so some banks have a much stickier sense of depositors and some have a much more fluid, right? If you're a bank that gets your depositors because you offer, you know, one-tenth of one percent more in interest and that's how you're getting business, well, if someone comes along and they offer two-tenths of a percent more, you're going to have money flow out. So you've got to have an understanding of what makes up the customer base of the bank, um, but, Dottie, if I can mention one more thing before we run out of time, also I want to mention, because this is also big news and has some repercussions in a different way, is Credit Suisse, because that's yes. also in the news. Now, Credit Suisse has had issues for a while. They've had billions of dollars' worth of outflows, certain bad loans. And remember, they are mainly a Swiss institution, but they do have a footprint in the United States. They have banking and investment banking operations. So what's happened is in the last year, but this this didn't just happen last week. In the last year, Credit Suisse lost about 75% of its stock value. And last year, about $133 came U.S. was transferred out of the bank from their customers. And uh, last month, you know, it looks like they had a nearly $8 billion uh, loss in operation. So the bank actually lost money as a business, not just customer outflows so what it so they got a big lifeline from the swiss version of the federal reserve and what it looks like is that credit Suisse is going to either be acquired or chopped up or something um the big bank um you know is ubs united bank of switzerland there's talks right now that they'll take over credit Suisse or take over a portion of it um my sense is that the Swiss regulators won't let UBS take over everything because then they would control about 30% of the Swiss banking market, which would be very, very high to have in one institution. So my sense is that it's going to be chopped up a bit, and some will go there. Maybe the name will still survive, and it will be a different kind of institution. Um, and this is just important because, Dottie, we, we have a global market, Global market for investments, for startup firms, for liquidity, and also keep in mind even employees work for a lot of global firms and you know travel. Let's say and need to have global access. So while you're not going to have the U.S. government being responsible, Credit Suisse is a very important institution, and that's sort of another piece that's sort of out there in the banking sector as a whole.
2: I, you know, I want to leave our listeners, even though we have another hour to go. But on this topic, something that we're going to wait for Wednesday, but, um, okay, if you're, you know, the average person, here's some of the questions that I've been receiving. Will uninsured depositors at banks that fail in the future, and again, there will be another failure somewhere along the line, uh, be covered the same way that they were at Signature? And this is a Biden goal. I think Biden came out with something that that's his goal to do that, but it didn't happen. So even though he might want it to happen, it's not, it happened. It didn't happen. So you're still at risk. And so I I don't know, I am not a financial expert to give you advice. I'm trying to figure it all out myself. Uh, but would you have any advice for someone other than to speak to your financial uh, whoever you speak well, to, your accountant or your financial advisor.
4: So I think a few things, Dottie. One, if you really have a concern, and it depends on how much money you have at the bank, one can take comfort is if you're under that $250,000 threshold. And me personally, that's how I look at it. I am not counting on the government to give protection beyond $250,000. They absolutely might do it again but they're not required to. So to me, I like to operate based on what people are required to do, not what they might do. Right? And what
2: so about that the, Yeah, and what about that the banks borrowed a new record of 153 billion dollars and the previous record was 111 billion in 2008.
4: Well, I would say a couple things. One, banks sometimes are borrowing because to just have the money on hand and to look good on their balance sheet. And keep in mind, dotty inflation, right? A 2008 dollar is not worth the same in 2023. So, so there's a little bit of that with it. Um, but what some banks are doing is they're borrowing just to have the money on hand, right? They don't necessarily need the money and people need to understand that. It's not like, where did all the money go? It's not like, poof, a magician made it all disappear. What they're concerned about is it's all about timing. Banks have made a number of long-term positions that, by the way, could be excellent decisions. But when all of a sudden there's panic, people want the money now. And so what happens is banks don't keep a pile of cash at the bank if every single customer showed up and wanted their money immediately. They don't do that because they couldn't make the money work. And honestly, look, it's not like you draw down your bank account. Nobody draws their bank account down to zero every single day. There's no account. So they realize there's a certain amount of money they don't need to have handy. So what they're realizing now is saying, wait a minute, people, there's a lot of rumor, there's a lot of discussion, there's truth also, and nervousness. So let's just dump some more cash and have it ready, so that way people feel calm. So that's what this is really about in most cases. Um, And then in a few cases, there are some balance sheets that are really out of position that need to be adjusted, but you can't do that overnight.
2: Well, two things. I don't want anyone to make, don't make crazy emotional moves, okay? Try to, you know, again, a lot of people won't have to worry about the 250, but uh, if you do, don't make any emotional moves. I think you should call your, your account or whoever you talk to about money. Oh, and by the way, I want to say a special thanks to Molly and all her real estate th- team uh, who will faithfully listen to us every day. I love you. So thanks. Um, but I think that for right now, you should really, you know, we people put money in banks. We give money to our financial uh, uh, people. And a lot of us really don't do any homework ourselves. And so I think that you should, we we try to keep you aware of these things because, Uh, nothing's a guarantee. You know, If you, everything has risk. And, you know, if you put your money under the mattress, there's risk because the money devalues. So anything you do has risk. You have to take some risk. And it's all the amount of risk you're taking. Uh, But I think that this has taught us certain things. Uh, Thank goodness I don't believe any people will get really hurt, but I don't know how the banks will pay this back. I don't know how this will affect things going forward. They say it's not in the I want to mention consumer.
4: one more thing, which I find, and you know, which I'd be remiss to not mention. Just because you get a checkbook doesn't mean it's a bank account. And I want to mention this because in the past, you know, you go to a traditional bank, they have a branch, you get a checkbook. It's a truly a bank account. There are a number of investment accounts that sort of look and maybe feel like a bank account, and you might even have quote check writing privileges. Where you can get a checkbook and write checks and they'll process it but they're not a bank a bank is what we call a checking account a demand deposit which means you walk up to that bank counter you go online and you can demand and instantly as long as it's during bank hours they have to give you the money there's a number of accounts particularly some of these online banks where they're not exactly regular bank accounts They say we'll get you your money. It takes three business days to process. When you see some of those signals, you have more like an investment account, and you really need to check, is that account which you thought was a bank account really a bank account, which also means do you get FDIC insurance coverage? So definitely, as Dottie said, the most important thing is ask questions, have somebody at the bank you can go to just to find out, really what the situation is
2: yeah and again again as I said you know you don't often think of banks uh, you you think that they're safe and for most part they are I really don't think people should be freaked out yet or panicked but it just really when you have money and you're dealing with investment bankers they're human and mistakes happen so you should try to be on it, or have somebody uh, that you trust, and that is really pretty knowledgeable in that field. Take it, take a look at it, because as you said, you know we don't carry cash around now. So, so if the bank's not open, or you can't get to your money. Uh, some of us would starve to death. Okay, unless you have a lot of credit cards. But hopefully. We'll learn from this, and I and I, I think by next week, don't you think we'll have some more answers, Stephen?
4: I think we'll have a lot of answers. You know, we had recent CPI reports, consumer price index. You know, some things have gone there, but some down, some are still there. We have that FOMC meeting on Wednesday, so I think we'll have a lot more. And you know what? Time also calms things down. So I think we'll be, I think we'll be in an even a more clear place next week.
2: Yeah. Well, so good luck to everyone. We're going to be back at 11 o'clock. We'll be joined by Matt Paxton, and he's a downsizing expert. You really want to hear him, keep the memories, lose the stuff. And he's the host of an Emmy Award-nominated series legacy list. You're not going to want to miss him. He'll be on at the 11th hour. We'll be right back after the 11 o'clock news.
0: The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.